chapter 4. Esther chapter 4. The reality is this, that everybody sitting here this morning <clears throat> has not arrived spiritually. <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but <clears throat> we all, uh, God's still working on us, is he not? <clears throat> if there if there is anybody here who has arrived, <clears throat> would you raise your hand? Because I want to I want to meet you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it, you know the yeah the minute we arrive, we literally will arrive. <clears throat> and uh, you know, and one of the one of the <clears throat> purposes to coming to church is to worship, is it not? Yes, now, w- part of worship is allowing God to work through you. Uh, as we worship God, what do we do? We, we, one of the things that we should do, one of the parts of worship should be asking God to work in our hearts and lives. Is that not true? <clears throat> so when a person gets to the point where they're no longer willing to change or allow God to change their lives, what happens to them? They become stale, do they not? <clears throat> and when a person becomes stale, then worship is no longer part of their lives. <clears throat> so this morning, <clears throat> we're going to talk about his worship. What is, what is worship? Worship is understanding that God is worthy of our worship. Does that make sense? His worship. In Psalm chapter 29, verse 2, it says, Give unto the Lord uh, the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29. Give unto the Lord uh, the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. <clears throat> Worship and growth, personal growth, go hand in hand. You, you cannot separate worship and personal growth. If you are worshiping God, then you must be growing personally. Does that make sense? You cannot worship God and not grow. <clears throat> you, it's impossible. And you cannot grow without worshiping. <clears throat> because of the nature of the book of Esther, and we've talked about this for several weeks now, and and we're going to continue to talk about it. The book of Esther, the purpose of the book of Esther is the sovereignty of God. It is not about Esther, Mordecai, or Haman, or any of the characters in the book. The book is about the sovereignty of God. And because of that, we do not really get to see a glimpse into the personalities or the hearts of the characters of the book. Um, An example would be uh, Jonah, the book of Jonah. Most of us know uh, the book of Jonah very well because of the story involved. But in that story, God reveals the heart of Jonah, what's going on on the inside. Does that, you follow me? 
you don't see that very much in, in the book of Esther because that's not what the book is about. The book of Jonah is about the, the heart of Jonah. The book of Esther is about the sovereignty of God. So <clears throat> because of that, it's a little d- difficult in certain situations to see what's going on in the hearts of the individuals within this book. Last week, we looked at <clears throat> the, uh, the, I, what I called the pieces of the puzzle. And the first two pieces were the scepter of grace and, and then the actions of Esther. And let, let's read in chapter 4, verse 11, because I, I believe this is a, a critical turning point uh, in the life of Esther. Chapter 4, verse 11, and, and, and <clears throat> excuse me, all the king's servants, well, let's, let's go back to verse 10 because it really it brings in the context here. Uh, again, Esther spake on the uh, uh, hate tag and gave him a commandment of, uh, unto Mordecai and all the king's servants and the people of the king's province do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king, into the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of him, of his, to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called unto, uh, to, to come in unto the king these 30 days. So what is Esther? Mordecai previous to this, t- through through a, a mediator person, tells Esther, hey, you need to go into the king and plead our case. Because there's about 15 million uh, Jews that are getting ready to be killed. And Esther replies to Mordecai and says, hey, I can't do that. Everybody, every every one of the king's princes, everybody in the kingdom knows that if you go into the king's chamber uninvited, you basically are going to die. It just You just don't do that. And she gives the excuses of why she cannot go in. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Now it came to pass on the third day. Why, why is that third day so important? Okay, she and all the other Jews in the city fasted for three days. We assume, we're not told, but we assume that they were praying and interceding on, uh, to, uh, on her behalf to God. <clears throat> but they fasted for three days. That, uh, that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house. And the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house. And it was so when the king saw Esther, the, king, the queen, standing in the court, that she obtained <clears throat> excuse me, favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter. That was uh, in his hand, so Esther uh, drew near and touched the top of the scepter. My question is this, and, and we do not have an answer. What happened in those three days? At the end of chapter 4, she was scared to death. 
She was telling Mordecai, there is no way on God's green earth that I am going to go into this inner court because I have not been, I, I haven't been at, I haven't seen the king for 30 days. And if I go in there, I will die. In fact, later in, in chapter 4, she says, if I perish, I perish. When Esther walked in, in chapter 5, verse 1, when she walked into that inner court, she expected to die. What happened between chapter 4 and chapter 5? What happened to the scared lady who says, I'm not doing that, to the one who walks in and says, here I am. See, again, we're not given a insight to what's going on in the heart of Esther. We can only assume that through this three days of prayer, God got a hold of her heart and, 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 and strengthened her faith and, and allowed her the, the, the courage then to go and step out and do. Oftentimes in our lives, we face difficult situations, do we not? I'm here to tell you there are times in our lives that each and every one of us will encounter that we just simply need to step out and do. That inner courage that can only come from God. James chapter 2, I read this last week, verses 19 and 20. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. So in chapter 5, when Esther steps into the inner court, what is she doing? She is literally making her faith come alive. God did not make her go into that court. She chose to step out in faith and let her faith come alive. And there are people, I encounter people all the time that ask me, say, Pastor, how can I, how can I grow my faith? What, what, is, what, what are some things that I can do? Well, I'm here to tell you, there are times you just need to step out and do. Just step out and do. The title of my message this morning is very creative. <clears throat> You'll like this. More pieces of the puzzle. <laughs> you know, isn't that creative? <clears throat> you know, I have pastor friends that come up with some of the really coolest names for their So I am such a deadbeat when it comes to that. I'm just not creative in that way. But anyway, I think it's appropriate, though, because God is putting more of the pieces of the puzzle together for us as we see this this thing to start to unfold. Let's look at verse 3. Then said the king unto her, What wilt thou, Queen Esther? And what is thy request? It shall be given thee uh, to half of the kingdom. And Esther answered, uh, If it seem good unto the king, let the king and Haman come this day unto the banquet that I have prepared for him. 
then the king said, Cause Haman to make haste that he may do as Esther hath said. So the king, <clears throat> so the king and Haman came to the banquet that Esther had prepared. And the king said unto Esther at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? Even the half of the kingdom, uh, it shall uh, be performed. Then answered Esther and said, My petition and my request is, If I have found favor in thy sight uh, of the king, and it please the king to grant my petition and to perform my request, let the king and Haman come to the banquet that I shall prepare for them, and I <clears throat> will do tomorrow as the king has said. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you again for this day and thank you for your precious love. Thank you for the wonderful a picture of faith and growth that we have seen in the life of Esther in these pages. What an encouragement it is to each and every one of us to do the same. And Lord, we ask as we continue our service that you would speak to our hearts and that you would help us, dear God, to be more like you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Two different opportunities. The king has given Esther the, the chance to share what is on her heart. At the, once in, 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 the, in the king's uh, uh, throne room, and then again at the first banquet, he says, what is thy request? And she says, <clears throat> she says well, the first time, uh, come to my banquet. And then the second time, well, come to my banquet tomorrow. And <clears throat> But twice... She had opportunity to unload, if you would, the wickedness of Haman. As I have been studying and reading, I, I read a commentator that said that she she chose not to um, uh, uh, tell the king her, her her plan because of three things, and this is what the commentator said: it was the wrong place, it was the wrong time, and it was the wrong circumstances. And, and, and all three of those are very legitimate reasons. <clears throat> uh, but I disagree with it. This is why I disagree with it. Had it been her plan, those three reasons would have been valid. But whose plan is it? It's God's plan. Did she know what God's plan was? No, she had no clue. In fact, if you are familiar with this story, the next chapter is an unbelievable piece of the puzzle that we'll be talking about. <clears throat> she had no idea what God had in store. See, this was not her plan. All she was doing was allowing God to work through her. I believe that between chapters 4 and 5, in those three days, 
I believe that Esther learned an incredibly important lesson that each of us needs to get a hold of. You get this? And I want you to write this down. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Are you ready? This is deep. <laughs> this is deep. Wait on God. Wait on God. Point number one this morning, <clears throat> the next piece of the puzzle, if you would, the inaction of Esther. The inaction of Esther. And <clears throat> on the surface, the word inaction uh, could, be, could be interpreted as a bad thing. Not when you're waiting on God. Esther's inaction is not weakness, but is an inner strength and the ability to wait on God. Uh, in my office at, at the house where I do the majority of my studying, uh, <clears throat> over the door of my office, uh, on inside my office but over the door of my office, is a placard that I have <clears throat> that I see often. And God has used it many, many times in my life. It's a quote from a missionary named J. Hudson, J. Hudson Taylor. And this is the quote that hangs over my door. It is not lost time to wait on God. It is not lost time to wait on God. But in our society today, that is almost torture, is it not? In fact, for a lot of people, it is torture to wait on God. But you know, God has a whole different perspective than we do. She, I believe, learned to wait on God. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 30 and 31, it says, Even the young uh, shall faint and be weary, and the young uh, men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk. And not faint. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> there was a piece of the puzzle that Esther was waiting on and she didn't know she was waiting on it. Does that make sense? How many times in my life have I, and I, I thought this I, as I was studying this, how many times in my life have I, have I seen problems and difficulties in front of me and I thought okay God uh, if you'll do this and this and this then everything will be okay and guess what God doesn't do this this and this but he has a piece of the puzzle that I can't see you see his perspective is totally different than yours and mine see our ours is horizontal see he's looking down he can see everything and, and there, there's a piece of the puzzle, again, it's in the next chapter, but Esther has no idea of what that piece is, but she is willing to wait on God and let God work out the details. If you haven't read the book of Esther, then you need to go home and read the next chapter, and you're going to go, wow, God is awesome. 
Because only he could do what the next chapter is going to tell us. And I'm not going to tell you anything. Okay? If you don't want to read it, come back. <clears throat> but the psalmist encourages us in, uh, to wait on God. In Psalm chapter 27, verse 14, it says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Question. Is waiting on God difficult? It is. Do we always know what He's doing? No, we don't. In fact, we very seldom know what He's doing. But God doesn't operate on our schedule. He does not operate <clears throat> the way we want Him to. But what happens when we lose track of the sovereignty of God? When we lose track of the fact that God is in control? Abraham and Sarah are a perfect example of what happens when you lose perspective of the fact that God is in control. What happened to Abraham and Sarah? They lost perspective of the sovereignty of God. They took matters into their own hands. And we have fighting in the Middle East even today because of it. If you haven't figured out what's going on in the Middle East, <clears throat> has been going on since the ages of Abraham and Sarah. And it all stems to the fact they got impatient waiting on God. And I, I honestly, as I was sitting studying this, <clears throat> my thoughts came and I, how many times have I messed up big time in my life because I got impatient waiting on God? Esther, <clears throat> Esther knew that God was in control. Waiting on God is never easy, but waiting on God, you know, the, the, the reality, there's three things here. I want, to, I want to share three things with you. Number one, God knows our situation. Far better than we know it. He knows our situation, excuse me. He cares about you. He knows our situation. He cares about you. And he is faithful to the end. He's faithful to the end. I'm just being transparent here. You know me, okay? When Danny and Kimberly told me that they were leaving, I thought, what in the world? They, you know, they, but most probably mostly Danny. I'm sorry, Kimberly. Um, <laughs> Danny's an integral part of our church. He he wears lots of hats that y'all have no idea. My first thought was, what am I going to do? And after God hit me with a two by four, <laughs> and reminded me that this is not my church but his church. Amen. See, we don't know, but he does. Amen. Isaiah chapter 40, 31, again, I want to read it to you, remind you, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. 
They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's not up to me to fill his shoes. It's up to God. It's up to you too. Because there are people out here that need to step up and start filling in. Just saying. Because I, I can't do it all. I just can't. Physically impossible. Point, point number two. And this is, this is important. Uh, another important piece of the puzzle here is Haman's false confidence. Haman's false confidence. <clears throat> Look at verse 6. And the king said uh, <clears throat> unto Esther uh, at the banquet, What is thy petition? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? Even to the half of the kingdom uh, <clears throat> uh, it shall be performed. And she goes on to, 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 to tell the king, Hey, you know what? If you guys, if, if you and Haman come back tomorrow night, <clears throat> then I'll tell you. Now, what does false confidence convince us of? False confidence convinces us that we are more important than we are. Okay? Here, okay, kind of picture what's going on here. The king... Now, the first time the king asked the question, he's in his court. He's surrounded by all his little servants and all his uh, ministers and all of this stuff. And it's a public announcement. Okay, all right, Queen Esther, what do you want? I'll give you anything you want up to half of the kingdom. It's a public question. It's a public announcement. But here we see something different. We see a private conversation between the queen and the king and Haman. Now, if you were Haman, it would be very possible for you to think, wow, the king must really trust me if he's willing to have a private conversation with his wife in front of me. Oh, look at me. Then, then, the queen says, well, I'm not going to tell you until you come back. Think of this. Haman's, Haman's, Haman's confidence and his, 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 uh, <clears throat> his pride is starting to, to bubble and he's thinking, wow, I know the king values my opinion because I am the prime minister of the country, of the kingdom. But now, obviously, the queen has a very important something on her heart. And she's asking me to come back to get my advice. Can you see the confidence, the false confidence brewing up in this man's heart and life? Wow. Just think how important I am. Well, I'm here to tell you, there's not one person in this room that's important. Amen. One of the, if, if, if you were ever at my house and I am watching TV, one of the things that irritates the fire out of me more than anything is when a commercial tells you 
you deserve something. You deserve a new car. You deserve whatever. And every commercial tells you that, by the way. According to this book, the only thing that I deserve is hell. Anything extra is the grace of God. I want to kind of take a little, little side note here and point out a couple of things that I believe are worth, worth, worth noting, if you would. The first one is the king doesn't get agitated with Esther with the delay of the request. Now think about this. What personality types were the eastern kings uh, during the, the, this period of time? Uh, they were huge alphas, okay? And what, what is not characteristic to an alpha? Waiting. Waiting. I mean, I, I, can, I can see Ahasuerus going through the roof. Can you not? But he doesn't do that. He, he, he just kind of goes along with it. Totally out of character. Totally out of character. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 1. The preparation of the heart in men and the answer of the tongue is from where? The Lord. God is in control. I bet you, I, I don't have no clue, but I think, I believe that if we had the ability to go back and talk to Esther and say, Esther, why did you do that? She would probably say, I don't know. I, I, just, I, I just did it. I honestly, as much as I've studied this, I don't believe she knew what she was doing. She was just waiting on God. And then the next day, if it had to happen again, she would have done it again until God had worked it all out. The second thing I want to point out, and this is really critical. <clears throat> have any of you ever noticed how ruthless politicians are? Yeah, you think? What, what do politicians care about? Themselves. I don't care what party it is. It, it doesn't matter. If you're a politician, you're ruthless, period. <laughs> like I said, if you're a politician, you're ruthless. Okay? Now, who works in the palace? Politicians. Not one of Esther's handmaids or servants, and she had several, not one of them told Haman that she was a Jew. Now, if you were one of her handmaids and you had that kind of information, you would know that that would be worth a lot of money. Absolutely, that would be God's hand. See, not one of her handmaids in 21st century vernacular, threw her under the bus. Again, a wonderful picture, the fact that God is in control. 
1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us <clears throat> whatsoever we ask, we know that we have a petition that we desire of him. The only safe place that we have in life is in Jesus Christ. Where is your confidence today? Hopefully your confidence is not in the government. Hopefully your confidence is not in you. Hopefully your confidence is in Jesus Christ. Then we need to look at, finally, number three, Haman's pride. Look at verse 9. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then when Haman forth that day joyfully and, <clears throat> and with a glad heart. But when Haman, I love the buts, I love the buts in Scripture. But <clears throat> when Haman saw Mordecai, what do you think happened? <clears throat> uh, when he saw uh, Mordecai uh, in the king's gate, he stood not up nor moved for him. In other words, he made him walk around him. Yeah. He was full of indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman uh, refrained himself, and when he came home, he sent and called for his friends and Zeresh, his wife. And Haman told them of the, of, of the glory of his riches and the multitude of his children and the things wherein the king had uh, uh, promoted him and how he had uh, advanced him above the princes and the servants of the kings. And Haman saw, uh, said, Moreover, yea, Esther the queen did let no man come in with the king unto the banquet that she had prepared for uh, but myself. Uh, and, to, <clears throat> uh, and tomorrow I am invited uh, unto her also with the king. Uh, yet all... This availeth me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Wow. How sad. Verse 14, Then Zeresh, his wife and all his friends, <clears throat> said unto him, Let a uh, gallows be made of fifty cubits high, and tomorrow uh, speak thou unto the king that Mordecai, may be hanged thereon. Then go thou in, the, in, in uh, merrily with the king unto the banquet, and the king uh, and, the, and the thing pleased Haman, and it, he caused the gallows to be made. <clears throat> Famous actor named John Barrymore once said, One of my chief regrets during my years in the theater is that I couldn't sit in the audience and watch me. What a really arrogant statement. But it is that type of arrogance that Haman has. Verses 10 and 11. We're not, we'll not read it again for, for time's sake, but <clears throat> go back and, and look at it and, and, and notice the personal pronouns. His friends, his wife, his children, his riches, the promotion that, 
that the king gave him. All of these things, uh, everything was about him. Everything was about him. Uh, He reminds me of the rich young ruler. uh, Excuse me, not rich young, the rich farmer in Luke chapter 12. <clears throat> where and again for time's sake we'll not read it but he says he says uh, uh, I, I will pull down my barns because of all the things that I have done and and so on and so forth but what does God say to him at the end what a fool what a fool see the the rich farmer's favorite word was I and that is exactly the thing that plagued Haman it was all about me Many theologians are convinced that pride is at the essence of sin. Think about that for a second. Pride is at the very essence of the very center of sin. Perhaps that's why in Proverbs chapter 6, God gives us a list of things that he hates. The very first one, guess what it is? Pride. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19. These things that the Lord hate. Now, if God hates something, do you think it's kind of important that we listen to the list? Yea, seven are an abomination of him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Now, <clears throat> Haman <clears throat> qualifies for multiple of these of these uh, uh, items on the hate list that God hates. But the very first one is pride. Pride often turns to malice, or, or the word malice literally means to have a desire to injure. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Uh, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away uh, uh, from you with all malice. God does not want malice, excuse me, bitterness, any of that to be a part of a, a believer's life, period. We are to put it away. It is not to be part of our lives. But Haman hated Mordecai. He hated him so bad it turned into malice. And, and to the point, not only did he want to hurt him, he wanted to kill him. What is, he, what is the statement? He says, I can't be happy until he is dead. What a miserable way to live. Now, had he been able to be successful and kill Mordecai, would he have been happy? No, he still wouldn't have been happy. Warren Wiersbe wrote this, and I I thought it was an interesting quote, so I I wanted to share it with you. The insidious thing about malice is that it has to act. Eventually, it must express itself. (coughs) But when you shoot at your enemy, beware. For the ammunition usually ricochets off the target and comes back to wound the shooter. If a person wants to self-destruct, the fastest way to do it is to be like Haman and to cultivate a malicious spirit. Man, 
He did. If you want to self-destruct, be like Haman. And as we continue with the study of the book of Esther, that is exactly what we're going to see Haman do, self-destruct. Let me close with a couple of thoughts. Number one, Esther's inaction was not weakness, but strength. Her ability to wait on God was an incredible step of faith. From chapter 4 to chapter 5, three days of time, she went from a scared young lady to a lady willing to die for the cause of Christ. How does that happen? Only through faith. Her inaction is not weakness, but strength. When we wait on God, it is not wasted time. It is a, it is a sign of strength. Now, I'm not talking about being lazy, okay? God hates laziness. But at the same time, he wants us all to be people of great faith. We must learn to do the same. If we are going to continue to grow in our worship of God, as we come to church, as we spend time in his book, as we spend time praying, as we spend time worshiping God, personal growth has to be part of that. Now, are there things that God is working in my life that he's not working in your life? Absolutely. Each of us are, is, is a work in progress. And we will not attain until we are delivered. And as long as we're here on earth, even at the age of 68, 35, 35 okay, <clears throat> God's still working in her life. And it's a big job. (laughs) Our confidence must be in God. See, Haman's confidence was in his own abilities. And we see whenever that happens, we see a huge disproportionate confidence. See, but if we have a good perspective of who we are and what we are, Our confidence has to be in God because we have no confidence in ourselves. And then finally, bitterness, pride, malice has no place in the life of a believer. You say, but pastor, you don't understand what this individual has done to me. I I don't. I I don't know, but I do know this. God wants you to prosper. And you cannot prosper if you have bitterness and malice and pride in your life. Give Give it over to God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly